I don't ever want to get used to what I feel. The power of God is in this room right now. And when he's here, there's nothing too big for him to handle. Nothing's greater than him. And so the closer we get to him, the smaller every issue seems. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Friday's Valentine's Day, and uh, I just thought it fitting to try to teach a little bit today about a love story, a love story. So uh, you can go ahead and be seated. In Jesus' name. My wife and I, lady in the red dress, we will be married for 15 years this July. I don't understand. The only one that's ever put up with me that long is my mom and dad. And so I, I'm grateful for her. Uh, we've been together for 16 and a half wonderful years. And so I'm going to just talk to you a little bit about our story. And uh, we, we met. Uh, I, I was looking for Sister Esther. Um, she's not here today. But my wife and I actually met over here in room six in Sister Esther's Sunday school class. And when I saw her... As a 12-year-old, I, I was blown away. It was all the way back then that my heart belonged to that lady over there. And then she left me. She went to Ohio. Her, her parents got jobs down there, and um, she went to live down there. Uh, broke my heart for the first time back then. And uh, she came into town, I believe it was for Allison's wedding, when I was 16 years old, and she was 15. And uh, that's when we had our first date, our first real date. And it was our custom back then, we would have a 10 o'clock service, and then we would have a 6 o'clock service, and then after the evening service, all of the young people would go out to eat together, and, and that's what we did. Our first date was with the youth group. Um, that's a good lesson. Have your date with the security and safety of people. And uh, it was on that night. Now, I don't condone this, so parents, you parent how you want to. But that was, that was the night that we had our first kiss. And it was actually over here in the church, church parking lot. I was a new driver, and I had gotten turned around. And I didn't know my way back to the church, and we gotten lost. Um, and so I was past curfew. I was in big trouble. And uh, I remember we had to call our parents and they came to pick us up because I wasn't allowed to drive after midnight. And um, I remember, I still remember. Mom, you remember this? I remember. <laughs> I remember getting in the car with my mom and her words were, if you think it's safer with me, you better think again. So I exited the vehicle, and I got into my vehicle that my dad was driving home, and, and this is the difference between a mom and a dad. And my dad's first words were, well, son, I only have one question for you. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely, it was worth it. 
And then she went home, back to Ohio a second time. Broke my heart again. Uh, but then she came back. I remember the day she came back. It was in, it was in April. And she came back here, and I didn't know she was here. It was, I was actually working in our sound department. And um, she found my pal Jeffrey. And she said, hey, Jeff, how you doing? Do you know where John Gibbs is at? And uh, he said, you know, I haven't seen him, but he's here. And she walked away, and his thoughts to himself, you might even have said it to yourself, that boy's in trouble. Because <laughs> she was coming to get me. And ever since then, that day in April, one of us made the trip to Ohio, or she made the trip to Michigan, and we've been together ever since. And during those times that we were apart, we used to talk on the phone. This was back before everybody had a cell phone, so you had to do the landline, and you tied up the landline in your house, and we would talk to... One, two, three, sometimes four in the morning. And, and it, was, it was exhausting because I, I had to get up and work at five o'clock. And so very, very exhausted. I still remember the time we were talking on the phone and I had finished what I was saying. And I was waiting, you know, it was just like, okay, this is where you respond to the conversation and I'm waiting. And there was just this just odd pause on the phone. And then I heard a little bit of a deep breathing. She had fallen asleep on the phone in the middle of the night as we were talking. There was a time where when we were dating, um, I got out of work uh, around 3.30-ish, and I drove during the weekday. I drove all the way to Ohio because it was her birthday, and I just wanted to wish her a birthday in person and drove all the way back home. Love will make you do some crazy, incredibly silly things, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I learned that her favorite flower is tulips. Um, this, of course, after I had bought dozens of bouquets of roses. And so I was, uh, I, she told me her favorite flower was tulips, and I said, well, what in the world's a tulip? So I had to figure out what a tulip was to know what to buy her because I wanted uh, our dating relationship to be as good and as healthy and as perfect as it could be. There was one time I planned a, an anniversary after we were married. Um, she's always like horseback riding. Um, I can't stand it. So we compromised and I took her horseback riding. Um, and I had to plan, I planned the whole, the whole trip. She didn't know anything about it, and she came up to Michigan, and it was like, okay, you know, here's your bag. I packed you a bag. We're going to go ahead. And no, it was when we were married. You didn't come up to Michigan. You came home from work. I said, we're leaving. What are we doing? I'm not telling you. We're going away. And so I had to, I planned every detail of this trip. Um, everything was intentional because I was, I wanted to keep her married to me. It wasn't just I was pursuing her. I wanted to keep her in love with me. Uh, when we got married, I remember looking at the marriage license and making sure they had the right date on there, making sure that my name was spelled right, making sure her name was spelled right, because if that was off or there was a mistake in that, in that legally binding contract, and that legally binding contract it was void, it was in violation. I said, there's no way I'm letting her get away. So every detail was accounted for and planned for in our marriage license. And 
I, you look online now, it's a social media craze, and it, it's, I actually enjoy watching them, but <clears throat> excuse me, when people get engaged now, it's not just a, uh, a moment between a man and a wife. Everything is so publicized now, which is great for me because I enjoy watching that. Um, I remember Pastor Kento, I don't know if he's in here, he drove all the way to Chicago to surprise Bianca when she was out there to propose to her. Um, you know, I saw um, Draylen. Draylen, where is he at? He played a song when he asked Kelsey to marry her. It was so perfect and planned out. I wish I could sing. I really do. But he did. He killed this song, I, I believe, better than the original artist sang it. And, and it was incredible. I watched uh, Diana and Fadi. They just got engaged. And it's like, my man had something that was so elaborate. It looked like a wedding. But it's just the proposal. Very, very detailed. Wanted to make sure you're blowing this lady away. So much effort, she can't say no. I think that's the real reason why we do stuff like that. Look at all the effort I went to. You can't possibly say no. It's gotten so, so much of, of, of a popular thing that high school students, it's a new word that's been created. It's called a promposal. Um, and a promposal is you go through all of this effort and you asking, you're asking, you're just asking someone to prom, but it's a big deal. And every detail is calculated and it's targeted because you want to impress the one that you love. And so what in the world? I know it's Valentine's Day week and I know that this, this is fitting because we're talking about love. But God has a proposal to humanity. And the new covenant that Jesus Christ created is God's wedding proposal to all of humanity. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with you forever, without end. And so we're going to learn a little bit about this covenant. And the Bible says that He declares the end from the beginning. So in order to truly understand the end, we have to study the beginning. So there's an Old Testament or an Old Covenant. And then there's a New Testament and a New Covenant. And so we're going to learn a little bit about the Old Covenant and, and just a, a quick biblical overview. God creates man because He wants relationship. It's for His pleasure. That's why you're here. If, you, if you're wondering who am I and why am I here, that's why. You're here to please Him. That's it. Okay? So He creates man for His pleasure. And man gets in trouble. Man sins. So God establishes a way to where man could be back in good standing with him again. Because God can't violate his own laws, his own word. And so the Old Testament, when people messed up, even all the way back to the garden, there had to be a sacrifice or a substitute for the screw-up. And so what would happen is, is they would, if somebody messed up and somebody sinned, they would, they would have a sacrifice. Usually it was a lamb and they would bring it, um, to the priesthood. They would put their hand on the head of the lamb and that, that lamb became the sacrifice for what you had done. And this is the Old Testament. This is what's going on, um, under the Levitical law, the law of Moses. And so, um, that's the old covenant. 
But Jesus created a brand new covenant, and it's a better covenant. And so God said in, in Matthew 5.18, he said, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot, not one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Jesus is saying this. <coughs> you have to excuse me. I've had a cough for two weeks. Me and Colin. It's horrible. He created the new law, but he says, I'm not, I'm not just creating a new covenant. I'm going to fulfill everything that I has, had established in the old covenant. It's not just going to be done away with. I'm going to complete it with the new covenant. Are you following me? So Jesus Christ becomes the sacrifice for sin. To where it was the Old Testament, was it was an individual animal. John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the whole world. He is the sacrifice. It's just like in, in a proposal to a, to a future bride. You want the details to be in agreement. Just like I read over that contract of my marriage license, I wanted it to be perfect. Because if something's out of order, if something doesn't add up, or if something is an error, then the whole thing's messed up. And so God has to prepare and make sure everything that is in the new covenant is fulfilled in the old covenant. Details are very important to Jesus. Very, very important. So the old covenant, when there was people in bondage, God got them out of bondage. The first is the Passover. Um, it's where the blood of the sacrifice was applied to the house, and, and they got out of Egypt. And I'm going to go quick, but I, I promise we're getting to a point. Then they went through the water uh, in the Red Sea. They were led of a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That is the new birth message. And, and if you've been around here any length of time, um, you've heard that before. That everything that happened to Israel, it was written for our learning. Uh, the book of Acts says that, that they are the church in the wilderness. So there's a lot that we can learn from what happened back there. Um, they, they were, the blood was applied to their life. They went through the water. They were led of the Spirit. That is Old Testament um, concealment of the new covenant uh, revelation. You have to be buried. Uh, you have to be uh, repent of your sins. Repentance just means to turn from the lifestyle that you've lived. It means it's it literally means the turning away, turn towards God and walk away from the life that you've lived. Um, get buried in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, you're going through the water just as they did in the Old Testament uh, for the remission of sins. And then God will lead you with His Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking in other tongues. Draylon, we just talked. We talked earlier about how you played that song for Kelsey when you when you asked her to marry you. It was great. So remember I talked about the details. The incredible thing about, um, if we could pull up Exodus chapter 3, or I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 3. I love finding treasures. A lot of people will focus on the New Testament because it's, it's the church age. It's where we're at right now. Um, but I love diving into the Old Testament and finding things um, that a lot of people maybe overlook or don't see. Um, so this is, this is God telling, God tells Moses, he speaks to him out of the burning bush in Exodus 3. This is Exodus 6. It says, I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and unto Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, 
but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. Isn't it amazing? We're oneness Pentecostals, apostolic, Jesus name people. In the Old Testament, you're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I didn't reveal my name to them. And it hits me in my my reading. God never needed to reveal his name until there was people that he loved in bondage. He never needed a name before his people were in slavery. And so don't ever let anybody tell you that the name of Jesus Christ isn't important and that it's just a technicality and you don't truly need to speak that name, the name we were singing about. That name is everything. It's everything. So we talked about God being the the sacrifice for humanity. John the Baptist declared the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the whole world. Detail about that. It was a declaration. It was an, uh, um, it was an anointing of the sacrifice, a declaration that God, what Jesus was that sacrifice. But what people like might not think about is John the Baptist, his dad was a priest and he was a Jew. And so John the Baptist was actually a Levite from the tribe of Levi. It was the priesthood. He was a, what's known as an Aaronotic priest. Um, so when the priest declared the sacrifice, that's what they did back in the beginning. That's what they did in the Old Testament. God completed that part of the Old, old Covenant. So Jesus, when, when John declares Jesus as a sacrifice, he's declaring Jesus as something called the Asham. The Asham in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, was what was called the sin offering. The sin offering was known as the Asham, but it it has a deeper meaning. The Asham is not only the sin offering, but the Asham actually becomes the sin. Thus we have, he who knew no sin was made sin. It's the exact same thing that happened in the Old Testament. God's fulfilling the Old Covenant to give you something better. His plan for you is perfect. His lo- he loves you so much that He's, he's going to make sure that not one jot, not one tittle, not one comma, not one apostrophe is going to be out of place with this new covenant because He loves you so much He's not willing to lose you on a technicality. Every single detail is getting fulfilled in the Old Covenant to present you something better. Jesus' name. So the Asham is the sacrifice, and the sacrifice becomes the sin. It's exactly what happened in the Old Testament. When you put your hand on the lamb, the sin you did actually transferred to the lamb. The lamb became the sacrifice. It's the exact same thing. And so what happens is John declared Jesus the Asham. And so Jesus is the Asham. That's the name of the sacrifice. So the name of the sacrifice is also the name of the sin because the sacrifice is the sin. When you are forgiven of your sin, God's name is attached to it. It's not yours anymore. 
When, when our kids were younger, we would send them to school, and we would, you know, anybody's got young kids, you know how backpacks and lunch pails, they all get mixed up. What do you do? You put their name on it. When somebody puts their name on something, it's a, it's a, it's a way of saying, I own this. It's mine. And when God forgives you of your sin, you don't own it anymore. So don't you dare go back to it. You don't own it. And when you try to go back to that sin that has his name on it and that he owns, you're trying to steal your sin back. And that's a sin. But thankfully, that sin still got his name on it too. Now, the asham is the sin offering. This is what's incredible. It's not hard. In ministry, you'll deal with people. And you can explain that God died for you. You can explain that, you know, that's what the cross was all about. That's, that's what happened on Calvary. He took your place. He paid your price. And people can wrap their mind around that. What people have a hard time wrapping their mind around that is, God forgives me, but I don't forgive myself. And that's the weight that people carry. But the asham is not just the sin offering. When you look up the definition, it's the sin offering, but it's also something that's known as the trespass offering. The trespass offering is synonymous with the guilt offering. So when you transfer your sin on the sacrifice, he becomes the sin. But not only does he become the sin, he becomes the guilt of the sin. So when you look at the cross, you look at Calvary, that guilt that you've carried, He nailed it to a cross. The shame that you carried is gone. It's paid for. And too many Christians walk around and we, we know that God forgives us. We know that He paid our price. But we carry the weight. The Bible says, you who were dead in trespass, and in sin. They're separate. But according to this Scripture, the Asham is both. And Jesus is the Asham. So what is trespass? It's going where you shouldn't go. It's being in a place where you don't have a right to be. And that's what happens when we hold on to our shame. When we hold on to our guilt. It's different than conviction. I'm all for conviction. Conviction will bring you to repentance. But after repentance, you got to let go of that guilt. And you got to let go of that shame. Because when you hold on to it, it's a trespass. You shouldn't be there. God paid that price for you too. And His plan for you is so perfect. And His love for you is so great that He wants that to be taken care of. Every detail. Everything you could ever encounter or, or, or come across, He's made a way to redeem you. So you're saying, what in the world does this have to do with me? The Cal Calvary and Jesus died over 2,000 years ago. right? It's kind of hard to say, okay, here we are in 2020, and uh, we're learning about something that happened so long ago. Um, it can be hard to, to say, okay, wow. 
How does it truly work and how does it truly apply to me? And so we've got something today. It's, uh, it's in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is, is it's all about prophecy about Jesus. It's, um, every verse has something to do with, <coughs> excuse me, um, the prophecy of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read Isaiah 53, verse 1 through 4. Who hath believed our report and to whom the arm of the Lord is revealed? Wish I, I'll just take your time. The arm of the Lord is revealed. The arm of the Lord in the Old Testament, um, it was a sign of the power of God. Um, the disciples wanted to sit at the right hand of God. Um, David said one time, he said, save with your right hand and answer me. Um, it's, it's a way that we can understand God's power and God's authority, that, that arm of the Lord. It's the power of God. And that word revealed is so incredible. It's actually a Hebrew word. It's called neglata. The neglata means imprisoned. It means um, held captive. It means stripped. Um, nakedness is what that word means. So you have this verse, and, and I'm sorry, the sound team, this is not in my notes, but neglata, we know what that means, but it's the power of God. So how in the world is the power of God captivity? How in the world is the power of God imprisoned or um, shamed or disgraced or, or stripped naked? It's, it's, a, it's a revelation of the love of God because the greatest act of love is the cross. And the power of God was revealed on the cross. So the greatest power that is in existence today is love. It's love. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root of out of dry ground, he hath no more form or comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we hid it, as F, sorry about that, and we hid as if it were out our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Now who are my, um, who are my grammar police, my social media grammar police in here? You go ahead and wave your hand at me. Do we have anybody who wants to admit to that? Nobody? Come on. God still loves you. It's amazing to me that 700 years before the cross, Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus Christ. And in verse 2, it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Look at that, look at that beginning. For he shall grow up. Now this is prophesy, right? Prophecy. So it hasn't happened yet. But the contents that the author wrote it in he shall grow up. That's future tense. Can we agree on that? I know it's not English class, but here we go. Can we go to verse 3? He is despised and rejected of men. That's not future tense. That's present tense. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Past tense. 
There's no mistake in the Scripture. God knew Jesus Christ was more than just a man. He was God, Spirit, John 4, 24, in flesh, in a, in a body. And so that man, Jesus Christ, when he's getting prophesied about, this is 700 years before the cross, the author says, you know what? He can handle your past. He can handle your present. He can handle your future. Every detail is accounted for. There's nothing that's going to be too hard for the Lord to redeem in your life. It's perfect. His love for you is perfect. His plan is perfect. And there's no error in it. No error in it. If I were to ask you, uh, I'll go ahead and ask you. You just shout it out. It's not a trick question. Okay? What's more valuable? Something that is common or something that is rare? Rare. Here's a harder one. What's more valuable? Something that is rare or something that is extremely rare? Extremely rare. David said life is but a vapor. It's here today, but it's gone tomorrow. And so what in the world? This new covenant that God created that is perfect because He's after you. He wants to spend forever with you. This is a marriage proposal. There's very few things that are more biblical than Christ the bridegroom and the church the bride. He wants to spend forever with you. And it's perfect. His plan, everything's fulfilled. Every detail. But when you, what's it all for? What is it just so that you could know him and live a great life? When you examine your life in the context of eternity, you realize your life, it only comes along once in an eternity. It's very, very rare. So how are we going to spend it? You can squander it, and you can waste it, or you can treasure every moment of every day. Because God didn't just save you to save you. God saved you that you could minister and impact someone else. This is far bigger than God just saving me. We have an we have a opportunity to impact our world. We have an honor to try to have God build something in this city that's going to bring Him glory and honor. And I don't want to miss it. And I don't want to get so caught up in life that I miss what God is trying to do. If I were to ask you, what is this? What would you say? A cup of water. Describe it. Red cup of water. Okay. If I were to say, what's the stuff I'm walking on right now? Green carpet. You see, in, in America, we, we, um, we will describe with adjectives before we say what it is, which is the noun. Okay, This is a red cup. This is green carpet. I'm wearing a black suit. Okay, You follow me? 
Where are we going with it? The Jewish culture wasn't that way. They didn't say, hey, that's a red cup. They would say, that's a cup that's red. This is carpet that is green. This is a suit that is black. And say, okay, where am I going with this? Until we look through the lens of love to this world and to each other, we're always going to put the adjective ahead of the noun. God doesn't do that. There was a woman in the New Testament that was thrown at the feet of Jesus, and she was an adulterous woman. And so that's what we say. You know what? She's an adulterous woman. That's not what the Bible says. She's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. There's a story about a a, a demoniac of Gadara, and that's what we know him as. The Bible doesn't say that. It says there was a man with an unclean spirit. There was a woman with the issue of blood. God never describes the person by what they're struggling with. We do. He doesn't. And until we can learn to look at people, not for what they're struggling with, but the fact that they're a man or a woman and they've got a soul... The adjective doesn't matter because God can fix whatever that is. That's a soul, and that soul needs a Savior. And he's not looking at them for where they're at in the mess that they're in. He's saying that's a person. Reach them. Love them. Because here's the indictment. Are you ready? It's John 13, verse 34. This will keep you up at night. A new commandment I give you. It's not optional. It's a commandment, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. I don't love people the way he loves me. I don't lose sleep over the lost. I get caught up in my life pursuing a career, making sure I've got a great family. It's all great. And you should do that. But God is in relentless pursuit of people. While I was yet a sinner, He died for me. And He's commanded us, love one another as I have loved you. We can't afford to miss it. The time is dwindling. There's a lot that's going on in this world with Israel, with America and Palestine. The signs are all there. All of them. They're there. We don't have time to be lazy. The Bible says that the fields are white unto harvest. They're ready. Just need laborers. Surely we can labor. Surely God wants to build something in Sterling Heights that'll bring Him glory. Surely He wants to use you to reach your neighbor, to reach your loved ones, to reach your family. we got to overcome the guilt and overcome any shame that we're carrying and realize this is bigger than me. We've got to love others as Christ loved the church and loved me. We stand.
Now this is, we've had praise and worship. They did an incredible job. Praise and worship is, is that's for Him. It's, it's us showing Him how much we love Him and how excited we are that we're the called out ones. We've had the, the preaching of the Word. That's for us. God already knew everything that I, I learned this week. This is the time. They're going to sing a song, but this isn't praise and worship 2.0. This is the altar service. And it's completely different than anything else that has gone on to this point. This is the time where God wants to transform a life. This is the time where you cry out to God in repentance or that you make the choice to get buried in His name or that God will fill you with the mighty power of the Holy Ghost. It's different. And what makes it different, the Bible says, if you draw nigh unto me, I'll draw nigh unto you. That's why we come. That's why we make an effort to get out of our pews and come around this altar. Because as you make that effort to come to God, He's going to make that effort to meet you here. And so as they play, don't get caught up in the trap of just thinking it's another praise and worship song. We need to pursue after God at this portion of our service. So I invite you to come. If you're going to pursue after the Lord, I want you to come. If you're not ready for that, that's okay. You can stay where you're at. But come if you're ready for God to do something. Come if you need a, a healing in your body. Come if you need God to, to touch you in a special way today. We have ministers that are going to be around this altar praying for us. Enter into a place of prayer with God. Pursue after Him right now. Shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear it up, coming after me. There's no shadow. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me.